Now, I want to say, I want to say this about the two of them. There's something in common, at least for me. Before I got married, the Lord shared with me, said, Roy, I'm giving you this woman as a gift to you. Listen to her. She, she, she's going to save you from some stuff. And for those of you, and I'm not just talking to men, I'm talking to all spouses, you need to realize that if your spouse is from God, then they are a gift. Amen. Amen. And, and I, just in full transparency, I haven't always been 100%. I, sometimes I have to repent to the Lord and repent to my wife and say, yeah, I should have listened. Okay, but I've gotten better. Amen. All right. I want to be able, I, I want to say this about Corinne. A long time ago, I learned that the Lord placed a similar anointing on my daughter. And as a parent, it is, it is a good thing, at least for me, to know that my wife and I have, as best we can, with the help of the Lord, has raised her that she can speak into our lives. And so I gladly receive uh, her voice from time to time because I know the Lord is speaking through her. And so please greet Corinne as she comes to you and let her speak into your life. Amen. chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation, Bishop's favorite translation. <laughs> and it says, At that time, the disciples came to ask Jesus, who is considered to be the greatest in heaven's kingdom realm? Jesus called a little one to his side and said to them, Learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a little child, you will never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this little child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm. And if you tenderly care for this little one on my behalf, you are tenderly caring for me. 
But if anyone abuses one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck and be hurled into the deepest sea than to face the punishment he deserves. Misery will come to the one who lures people away into sin. Troubles and obstacles to your faith are inevitable, but great devastation will come to the one guilty of causing others to stumble. If your hand clings to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your foot continually steps onto sin's path, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter into heaven crippled and maimed than to have both hands and both feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye is always focusing on sin, pluck it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than to be thrown into hellfire with two. Be careful that you not corrupt one of these little ones, for I can assure you that in heaven each of their guardian angels always sees the face of my heavenly Father. The Son of Man has come to give life to all who are lost. Think of it this way. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one lamb wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 grazing the hillside and thoroughly search for the one lost lamb? And if he finds his lost lamb, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. Now you should understand that it is never the desire of your heavenly father that a single one of these little ones should be lost. And so this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you and speaking to us this is a family discussion about Jesus' heart for little ones. So when I look at this passage, what do we learn? What do I see about Jesus' heart for little ones? The first thing I notice is that the disciples wanted to know who was the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus called a little one. And so when I see that, I think of the little ones here at church. And if you don't know, I'm the director of the children's ministry, so I see the little ones and I interact with them a lot more <laughs> than I interact with you all. <laughs> and so I think about one of the little ones who might be in one of our classes. And I'm sure that when Jesus called that little one out and set them in the middle of where the disciples were huddled, the disciples weren't expecting that he would say, this little one is the greatest. You probably wouldn't expect if I pulled one of the little ones up here that I would say, this little one is the greatest. But that speaks of relationship. And it speaks that Jesus valued relationships with children and families. Now, if you know anything about the kingdom of God, it's kind of an upside down kingdom. It is not like the kingdoms of man that have been established. Jesus does things differently than our human understanding might think. Now, when Jesus called this child, I'm imagining that he knew that child's name. I'm imagining that he also knew the parents, knew their names, and the parents also knew Jesus and they trusted him because what parent is gonna let some stranger call their child and bring them into a huddle with them and their friends? I don't know anyone who would do that. Even if it's not my child, I'm going to be looking at you like, what you about to do? So, 
it begs the question, what children and families are we in relationship with? Are you safe? Are you trusted? And now we take time every week on Thursdays to pray for the children in our church. And if you don't know, Thursdays is a day of prayer and fasting for children and youth at PT. So there are three opportunities for you to pray. Midnight prayer, 6 a.m. prayer, and that prayer at 1 p.m. So hope to see more faces on there praying for our children and our teens because they need it. But in addition to prayer, how are we building relationships and investing in children and in families? Are you asking God as you're praying? And we have a list of names of children. And even as I was in Honduras two weeks ago, I was saying, we've got to add these kids to our list too. And in addition to praying, what are we doing to actually invest and to spend time with these families, spend time with the children? And so I'm going to challenge us. So in Honduras, there are five principles that they teach the children at the start of every session to talk about how we follow Jesus. And one of the principles, they ask, quien somos, which means who are we? And the response is, una familia, hermanos y hermanas siguiendo a Jesus. And that's a family, brothers and sisters following Jesus. So if we're a family, and we're brothers and sisters following Jesus, then that means your children are my nieces and nephews. So I shouldn't be looking at your children like, why are they acting up? How come they're not doing this? Why are they crying? No, I should be offering to help. I should be offering to babysit. I should ask you if you feel supported as a parent. So I'm gonna challenge us, ask the Holy Spirit. Now this is not do not take this as fair game to be like, oh, there's some cute babies who I've been wanting to hold. And oh. No. <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit. Corinne did not tell you. <laughs> so go ask the Holy Spirit which families you intentionally need to seek relationship and build relationship with because he will guide you. All right. So our next thing that I notice from this passage is in verse three and four, there are qualities of a little one that we need to emulate as followers of Jesus. And in the Amplified Version, it says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless you repent, that is change your inner self, your old way of thinking and live changed lives and become like children, trusting, humble and forgiving, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this, children, this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are four qualities that I notice that Jesus highlights in this passage. He highlights that children, or little ones, are teachable. Are you teachable? Do you have a teachable spirit? Now, one of my strengths is I love learning information, and so I often get caught in like these internet deep dives about information, but I'm always eager to learn and learn something new. And if you meet a child, they're often very curious. They want to know. They want to know how things work. When we were at VBS a couple weeks ago, one of the preschoolers asked me, how do organs work? And I couldn't answer his question because I didn't know. But I said what I thought, 
how I thought it worked, and I told him who I thought he could ask, one of the musicians who probably knew how it worked. So I said, when you come back tomorrow, tell me and we can learn together how the organ works. And we found out how the organ works. So remember, be teachable. You don't know it all. We don't know it all. There are times, even in this new position as director of children's <laughs> ministry, I look at God like, I don't know. <laughs> Why am I here, Jesus? <laughs> but I don't know it all, so I have to ask the Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. And he is eager to teach us. So just keep that teachable spirit. The next thing that Jesus highlights is being humble. And we don't talk about this a lot. But being meek, being humble, not trying to be the first, not trying to be always the best, but be humble. Be humble. Let God be the one to raise you up. Don't try to raise yourself up. It often doesn't go well. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> the third principle is being trusting, believing, having faith. Now, when I think about children, I think about the little ones. So I was an early childhood educator, and they will just lift you up, ask you to pick them up, and they trust you're not going to drop them. They trust you're going to hold them. They trust that even if your arm gets tired, you're not going to just drop them on the ground. They trust when you throw them up in the air that you're going to catch them. They believe the best. And that's how we need to be with our Heavenly Father, but we also need to be that with each other. And this ties into that fourth point, which is forgiving. We need to be quick to forgive and not holding offenses and not seeking revenge. So things I've learned as an early childhood educator. I always joke that I learned what the scripture born into sin meant, working with toddlers because no one has to teach a toddler how to hit somebody. But I've seen my fair share of playground fights, but I promise you, even when they get into it, the children always come back and they're friends a few minutes later. They talk it out and they're ready to be friends. They, there might be tears, they might be mad for a little while, but by lunchtime, they're sitting next to each other and laughing and kikiing it up. So that is the example we need to follow in being quick to forgive each other. And I remember earlier this summer, Brother Ohene preached a sermon about forgiveness, and it challenged me because forgiveness is not easy. But if we look to the example of a child and being quick to forgive, forgiveness is more for you than it is for the other person. So make sure that we are emulating these qualities of little children. Now I'm going to jump a little. I'm going to jump down to verse 11 and verse 14 with this next point, that Jesus doesn't want any little one lost or left behind. So this passage talking about the sheep leaves the 99. Remember that from Reckless Love? Um, so we're all God's children and he values, Jesus values each of us. He doesn't want any of us to be left behind. And so for this, the purpose of this sermon, we're talking little ones speaking of children. But Jesus 
is also figuratively speaking about marginalized groups. Children, the term little ones, represents those who lack status, those who society often deems as unimportant, those who are often overlooked. Now, when I read this passage, I wondered, okay, I don't really know anything about sheep, I'm not a farmer, but why would a sheep go astray? Why would that one leave the 99? So I did one of my little internet deep dives. So this is a quick, I'm gonna hit it and I'm gonna jump out because I feel like this could honestly be a whole other sermon. But sheep are gregarious creatures. Gregarious is your vocab word of the day. It means social. So they're social animals. They stay in the flock. But when a sheep strays, it's usually because of a perceived danger or threat. Sometimes it's also curiosity or not paying attention. Sheep don't have a fight or flight response like we do. They will flee without thought due to fear. When they, and then when they realize they're separated from the flock, they become stressed and agitated. So can I encourage you that if you're feeling stressed or agitated and the enemy is using perceived fear or perceived threats to make you separate yourself from the flock, can I invite you to come back to the flock? And can I tell you that we serve a savior who is willing to leave those grazing to come and get you. So don't let fear push you outside of the flock. All right, in verse five, we learn that anyone who takes care of a little one takes care of Jesus. God honors and values those who take care of children and other marginalized groups. So my challenge is, how is Jesus inviting you to serve and take care of him? And I will say, as the leader of the children's ministry, we've got space. If God is challenging you and inviting you to serve by taking care of the little ones, I invite you to come find me after service. But if God's not calling you, because I know not everybody is called to children's ministry, but Jesus is inviting you to serve him in some way. So if you are a part of this house and you're not serving, you need to sit with Jesus and talk about that. Have a conversation about why we're not serving, because the time for that is done. We're Bishop has preached a sermon a long time ago, then he remixed it and did it again called Ship Movers, and we're all called to be a part of the ship. And even in the word, we're part of a body. So if the foot's not working, we're limping. So if you're called to be the foot, and you're not in your position, we're not functioning in the way that God needs us to function without you. So that's why the time for not serving and the time for not Taking care of what Jesus asked you to take care of is done. So in your time this week, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And when you hear his voice, obey. All right. So my last point before I hand it off is through verses 6 and 10. We learn that Jesus cares deeply about how little ones are treated. Now, there are not a lot of places in scripture where I hear Jesus with this tone of voice, the way he spoke about how we are to treat little ones. And so, when he talked about it's better to have a boulder around your neck and cast into the depths of the sea 
That feels very extreme to me. But I'm here in Jesus' heart. And Jesus' heart is saying, are we leading little ones to him or are we leading them away from him? Are we leading marginalized groups to Jesus or are we leading them away from him? Are, are we stumbling blocks for people to come to Jesus? Do we complain and criticize or do we show compassion? Because we serve a compassionate savior. And if that is the savior who we're following, if we are supposed to emulate, then we also need to show compassion. And so I challenge us, even this summer, there's not children's ministry, we're in summer break. A child might walk in the aisle, a child might scream out, are you showing compassion or are you criticizing? A broken life might come in here because our mission is restoring broken lives. They may not look put together. Are you criticizing or are you showing compassion? So let's take moments to pause before we react to practice compassion. And then I also want to challenge us about what things are distracting us or getting in the way of us following Jesus. So if you're not a stumbling block, but maybe there's something that is a stumbling block for you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you cut that thing off, just like Jesus said. Not literally your hand or not literally gouging your eye out, but cut off the source of temptation. And I will say that getting in community, getting in a small group, getting involved in a ministry group, that will help you win because they'll keep you accountable. I will say in my small group, we've gotten very real with our struggles, with the things that we need God to help us with. And we hold each other accountable. We text each other and check in. How's it going with this? How's it going with that? So make sure you're in community. Remember how I talked about the sheep staying in the flock? Stay in the flock to help keep you safe. And so at this time, I'm gonna hand it off to my mom because she's going to talk a little bit more about these stumbling blocks and not preventing people from reaching Jesus. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you. Woo! Let's, let's just give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when um, I received the, the message from Bishop to, to speak today, and he told us what the topic was, his, his, the topic is Jesus, lover of children. And and you all know me, those that have known me all my life, you know I love children. I love them. They're, they're just so much an integral part of my life. The scripture that I want to touch on this morning is found in Mark chapter 10, 
13 to 16. And I'm going to read it in two different translations. The first one, which is the message, says, Mark 10, 13 to 16. The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them, shooed them off. But Jesus was irate. Who knows what irate means? Do you know what irate means? Somebody just call it out. Thank you. He was angry. You know, we get this picture of Jesus that he's the meek and mild lamb. And he just goes about ministry, always, you know, smile on his face. But Jesus was angry. And he looked at them. He said to the disciples, don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. Can you imagine that? Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you will never get in. Those are some strong words. You will never get in. Then, after he scolded them, after he spoke, then, gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. Now let me read that in the NLT. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. And that's the title of my sharing in this, this time. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. I was thinking as I read that account, I said, why did the disciples scold the, the parents like that? You know, get away, move away, shoo them away. You're bothering him, you're bothering him. And there's a commentary that says that for the disciples, they thought Jesus was spending too much time with the wrong people. The wrong people. So the children, in their mind, were the wrong people. Don't bother with them. You know, they got the runny noses. They're sneezing. 
Some of them are drooling. Some of them are acting up. You know how children, they get fidgety. Don't bother with Jesus with those children. But Jesus rebuked them. The, the children, they were, not, they were not the wrong people. And the disciples lumped the children in with a category of tax collectors, sinners, the people, as um, Corinne mentioned, the people on the margin. Like, Jesus ain't got no time for that. Sorry for my bad grammar. But they wanted Jesus to spend more time with important leaders because this was the way to improve his position and avoid criticism. So, see, the disciples had forgotten what Jesus said. In the passage that Corinne mentioned, Jesus brought the child in the middle of them, in the midst, and said, you need to be like these children. They are the ones that have the prominent place in my kingdom. Can you say amen to that? A prominent place. Now, you know, I'm going to go back to my roots. My, my parents are from the, I grew up in Barbados. And growing up, my parents, you know, if we had guests over the house or, you know, friends, people coming over, we would be sent into another room. And we would be told, I want you to go in there and I want you to be quiet. Don't act up, don't shame us, stay in that room. And it was like, we can't even interact with our guests. We don't know what's going on. And when they left, oh, you can come out now. I was like, what? What is that? But no, Jesus in the midst, if you can make a mental picture, Jesus is talking to the scribes. He's talking to the Pharisees. You know, the leaders, the rulers, the people that have, you know, the lawyers. All these important people are all around Jesus. And yet, Jesus says, don't send the children away. They are not going into another room. They are not going into another space. Bring them right here. Can you imagine? You know, I was wondering, I'm thinking, were the disciples married? I wonder if they had a family that they were so quick to scold the parents and shoo the children away. And I said, whoa. And I started thinking about that, but then the Holy Spirit said, before you throw shade on the disciples, Anita, I want you to look in your own heart. No. Lord, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? He says, we all 
we, including me, we can act like the disciples. Many, 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 many times. So I'm throwing shade on myself. So, you know, I'm sitting, I'm standing here, over here, raising my hand, praising the Lord, and a little one screams out, ah! What's the first thought that comes to you? No, no, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on myself. The first thought, parent, can you control that child right now? Put the bottle in their mouth. Put the binky in their mouth. Give them a little goldfish or something to quiet them. And in thinking that way, I am like the disciples saying, shoo, go away, go away, go somewhere. Corinne, open up the ministry, I mean, the, the nursery, open up the nursery so they can go down there. We're shooing them away. But again, I come back to my point that Jesus in that lesson says, these children have a prominent place in my ministry, in the kingdom of God. So you know what I had to do? I had to repent. God knows I had to repent. One time I saw a little one. We were worshiping and the child was just running up and down. I said, you know, children are so innocent. They don't come into church saying, let me think how I can disrupt the service. Children are not deceptive like that. They are not like that. They are without guile. They don't leave their home and say, as soon as Bishop gets up to preach, I'm gonna scream. They don't do that. You know, a lot of times when they express themselves, and they scream or they cry. They just want to say something. They hear everybody else talking. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. And the Lord is telling us, reminding us, and challenging us, let the children come to me. Why did he say let? That means there's an obstacle. There can be an obstacle to the children coming to Jesus. So come, let them come to me. I don't care what state they're in. Yes, they might be the little ones that just were born. They could be the toddlers. And we know the labels that we put on the toddlers. I'm not going to even say it out there. But the twos. The blank twos, and then, oh, now you're coming to the preteens. The children are the children. Whatever age, whatever state, whatever emotional 
situation they're in, the Lord is saying, let the children come to me and forbid them not. That's what the King James says. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And for those that, you know, say, you know, children have their place. That was another thing I heard growing up. Children know your place. You got a place. But you know what? Josiah, if you read 2 Kings 22, it talks about an eight-year-old boy. Who's eight years old in here right now? Do we have any children that's eight years old? None? Okay. An eight-year-older by the name of Josiah became king. Became king. I didn't say prince. I said king over a kingdom. And the scripture said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David. So here is an eight-year-old that apparently their parents brought him to Jesus. They brought him to the kingdom. He was influenced by coming to Jesus that he could step into the role of a king. The scripture also says that neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance to the law of Moses. Wow, isn't that something to be said over a life? There was no king before him or after that could be compared to him. I'm thinking of other examples. Let's think of David. You know, everyone's familiar with David and Goliath. If David didn't know God, why would he even bother to stand in opposition to Goliath? M Mother Cummins, why would he be so foolish? But he knew the God in whom he trusted, that he could tell this giant, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? Whoa, you talking about insult. Who are you to defy the armies of the Lord? Where did David get that courage from? Where did he get that confidence from? David was not, at that time, he was not a warrior. He was not skilled in battle because King Saul tried to put his armor on him and David told him, I can't wear this. First of all, it was too big. It didn't fit him. But he said, in courage and um, in confidence, today the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This is a child speaking. This is a child, a teenager speaking. 
he came to Jesus. There's another one, another example, and she does not even have a name. And this is in 2 Kings chapter 5, and she's referred to as Naaman's wife's maid, a little girl from Israel that was taken away into captivity. And this little girl, I don't know what her age was, when she learned that her master had leprosy, she went to his wife and said, there is a prophet that can heal the master from his leprosy. That little child had an encounter with the Lord. I know she did. There's no shadow of doubt in my mind. And you know, we pray often, and it's on our website, that PT is a house of encounters. We want it to be a house of encounters, a house of worship, a house of prayer. But this morning, I'm saying, the encounters that I'm praying for and looking to see is encounters taking place in the lives of our children. Encounters that cannot be denied. That if someone comes up to them and says, well, what happened to you? And they share what happened. They say, ah, no, that didn't happen. They're going to be able to stand and say, yes, it did. I know that I met Jesus. And in some cases, they'll be able to tell you the date and where they were when they encountered Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let the children come to me. So PT family, Jesus is asking us this morning, if we will follow his example in blessing the children, or will we push them away? And at this moment, I'm charged by the Holy Spirit to follow his example. So I'm going to ask all of the children that are here in the sanctuary, if you are downstairs in the lower sanctuary, I invite you to come up. But we're going to bless you. I'm not going to do it all. I see some moms and dads that love children, that want the best for their children. So I am going to ask you to join me. I'm going to ask the children to come right up this middle aisle. Parents, moms, dads, if you want to come and join me and lay your hands on their heads, we are going to bless them today. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Be obedient, children. And for those that feel like, oh, wow, She's asking for young children. But whatever age you are, if you never receive 
the blessing of a mom or dad, come on up. <laughs>